I love having a personal portable collection of just peace. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Shepard, host of the Natural Curiosity Project. Not too long ago, I asked my friend Jared Blake to drop by the program. That was him just now. He's a wildlife sound recordist. In fact, that's one of his tracks that you can hear in the background. But he's a lot more than just a guy with a microphone. So we're going to talk a little bit about what Jared is all about. So Jared, thanks for joining me. You've been doing this for a while. What was the initial trigger that got you into wildlife sound recording? I was really inspired by a guy named Eric Normark. And he creates these YouTube videos where he's hiking in the wilderness and his sound quality is amazing. And not only is the sound quality amazing, each shot is really composed really, really well on a tripod. And it's just beautiful to watch. I wanted to create the same kind of videos for my favorite places to go hiking. So that's what I tried to do. And I started out filming and recording video and audio together with a GoPro. And when I got into the studio and post, I was so let down by the sounds of the GoPro. The video was great. No problems there. And then so I started doing research on how to record better audio. And of course, I needed something uh, portable and something that could easily be operated by one person and do video at the same time. So that's how I stumbled into field recording. So I, I went out, I got my first field recorder ever, which was a Tascam DR40. And I went back out into the woods with the GoPro, with the DR40. And this time when I came back to the studio to edit and put them together, I was so blown away by the sound that I dropped the video altogether and I just fell in love with field recording and it's just snowballed and grown uh, for me since then. You know, in one of our earlier conversations, I asked you about specific motivators for capturing wildlife sound and by motivators, I mean all of those ongoing things that make it important to do what you do. You talked about the fact that we're passing through a period that's sometimes referred to as the Anthropocene, meaning the age of human dominance on the planet, and the Holocene, the current geological period in the Earth's history, which is often associated with the next major extinction event. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Every single passing year, we're losing more and more species on planet Earth, and it's, it's really sad to think about especially from a perspective of sound, because these animals are creating the background ambiance of all of our lives. And most people don't even realize it, whether it's because they live in a city or they're just not tuned in to the sounds around them. And just thinking about an organism that is part of that symphony that's never going to play again, make their sound again, is really sad. Really well said. You know, I find that the more I record in the field, and even more important, the more I make it a point to deliberately listen, the more aware I am of that symphony that you're talking about. So let's continue with that theme for just a minute. Can you say a little bit more about why it's important to capture the sounds that we do? 
for me, the reason why I think it's so important that we record our uh, sounds around us and especially those of nature is so that we can work towards changing our circumstance here on planet earth. Because the reason why all these animals are going extinct is because of the way humans are interacting with the world. I really believe that tuning into nature and listening to the sounds of nature just really does something to you. And I think it's only a matter of time before epigenetics comes out with a study that proves that certain kinds of nature sounds turn on and off different genes in our, in our DNA that just really make us better people. And that's the magic of nature sounds that has motivated me. I've experienced it my whole life and field recording has given me the opportunity to actually capture that and share it with other people. It's just that next level of knowledge, I think is going to be sound. And we're gonna realize how important our soundscape is and what kind of effect that has on our health. And uh, a lot of people across the world are already researching it. I first actually started learning about that side, that more scientific side of sound recording when I read The Nature Fix. The, the author went and, and, and met with a lot of different researchers uh, across many different fields. And the book is broken into those different fields. And about halfway through is the sound one. And that just really blew me away. I really recommend that to, to any listeners. It's an amazing, amazing book, the entire thing, but especially that section. Yeah, The Nature Fix is an amazing book. I recommend it as well. So Jared, let's get into some field stuff. You just got back from a pretty significant recording trip. Tell us about it. Earlier this year in the spring, I planned and went on a field recording trip that lasted about two months long and with very little downtime in between locations. The idea was to go and capture the sounds of spring on the east coast of the United States, start at the bottom, and then chase spring as it moved up the coast and just listen to spring in a lot of different areas. And when I was doing planning for the trip, something that was really important to me was to try and find the largest protected areas of nature that I could find. So I, I had a lot of uh, national parks and forests on my list. And then when I narrowed them down into something manageable, I ended up with five locations. West Virginia, in, uh, in a cool area of West Virginia near Green Bank, it's a radio-free zone, and they have a they have a telescope that picks up electromagnetic uh, waves. And the telescope is so sensitive that people living close to Green Bank they are not allowed to have uh, Wi-Fi. If you want to have a microwave, it has to be inside of a Faraday cage. There's no cell service, so they live this really crazy lifestyle. One of my uh, subscribers actually suggested this location to me. And when I did research on it, like I had to go there. So it's the National Quiet Radio Zone. So that was the location in West Virginia. Then uh, in South Carolina, I had the Congaree National Park, the Santee Coastal Reserve. And then in Georgia, I had two locations there, the Okefenokee Swamp and the Chattahoochee National Forest. So those were all places on my list where I thought I could get some really good sounds of nature without any of the background noise of humans. And it was a lot harder than I thought, which I already knew from being a nature field recordist that it's difficult to capture 
nature sounds without any human noise in the background, whether it's people, transportation and cars and, and planes, and even trains can be heard for miles and miles and miles. So the goal of my trip was to listen to spring in all of these locations and try to record just what that sounded like. And were you successful? Along the way, I got some really unexpected sounds too. And I think the best sound that I captured on that entire trip, it was one of those drop rig recording situations where I came back, I got on my computer, I put the SD card on there and I'm like, what's that right there? This really low frequency spike. And normally the lower frequency sounds are almost always a car or a plane going by or something. And I zoomed in on it and I listened to it and I wasn't convinced at first that it was something natural. It almost sounded like somebody was pulling a starter cord on a lawnmower or another kind of equipment, gas powered equipment, but it just, it would never, it would never kick over. It would never start. And I had two drop rigs out that night. It just so happened. I, I started listening to the one that was further away. Let me interrupt here for just one second. For listeners who may not be familiar with some of this terminology, let me explain what a drop rig is. Like a lot of wildlife sound recordists, Jared sometimes places a recording kit in a promising area and then sets it up to record all night unattended. That's what he means by a drop rig. You drop it in place and leave it and then pick it up the next day. He'll talk more about that a bit later in the program. Here's Jared again. So by the time I finished going through all 12 hours of that, I still had no idea what this was. Then I go back to my second drop rig that night and it captured it in full detail. And what it ended up being was a male alligator making a territorial call in this little tiny wetland. Like, had I known that there were alligators in there, I would not have set my microphone up so close to the edge. It was filled with so much dense vegetation that I was just really surprised that an alligator was able to get in there and use it for habitat. Lucky for me, I got an amazing recording of that bellowing sound that they make. And that's probably my most favorite recording that I've made to date. It's just so unique, such a lucky situation. It's just one of those times like where we were talking about before where you come home and it's just not only are, are the levels right and the, and the wind dies down, but there's also that surprise factor too. So I think that was the best uh, recording that I captured the whole trip. Okay, that was the first leg, and you clearly got some great captures. Where did you go next? When I was in the Chattahoochee National Forest, I was five miles away from anything in, in any direction. And I was staying on a, a high elevation pond that had a huge family of beavers in it. So 
I made the goal of that trip. I stayed there for five nights and I didn't see a single person until the very last day in the afternoon, a uh, maintenance guy came and was, it was mowing on the side of the road. So I made the rest of my trip. The goal was to record some beaver sounds. And what I really wanted to capture was the sound of a beaver gnawing on wood. So each day I was going out and basically doing research on their habitat, looking like where they had been. I, I found their paths and the habitat there is managed. Part of that management is a prescribed burn that keeps perpetual young forest extremely dense forever. Just this young forest loaded really good forage and good shelter for the birds. Inadvertently, it created an all-you-can-eat buffet for these beavers. And you could see all around all the trees that they had been taking down. And uh, so I set some microphones up there. I set a, a microphone up where they were entering and exiting the water. I wanted to capture what it sounded like them dragging a tree behind them into the water. So every day I was going out and doing research, looking at their evidence, where, where they go, where they've been. And it turned out to be pretty difficult to capture that sound, but I did manage to get it on the last night. And uh, just having that whole like four days worth of planning with a goal in mind and then actually capturing it and, and listening to it the next day was a really special experience. And I just felt so connected with that land for four days, just being there. And those are some of my most uh, memorable recordings now when I go back and, and listen to those ones. I don't know that I've ever heard that recorded before. Well done. So let me ask you this. Other than for your own enjoyment, what do you do with your recordings? I do a lot with my recorded sounds on both a personal level and even a commercial level. And one of the reasons why I love recording sound is because of the way that it makes me feel. And so I love having a personal, portable collection of just peace, just pure peace. It doesn't matter where I am, what I'm doing. I can put my headphones on and I can play some of my own recordings. And I can also play those recordings of friends that I've made on SoundCloud, which is where I post most of my recordings. I don't post all of them there and I try and emphasize kind of the highlights, but I have a lot more recordings on a little portable MP3 player, believe it or not, they still exist. And I just take them everywhere. And that is awesome for me. So I, I use them for meditation background. I use them when I'm working on the computer just to listen to. It just calms me down. It helps me focus. And so that's how I use my sounds personally. And then I also mentioned that I share them on SoundCloud. And SoundCloud has been a really cool tool for both sharing my own sounds and then connecting with other people who are also doing the same thing. I've Zoomed with some friends that I've made on there. We've bounced ideas off of each other. And it's just so cool to be able to be transported to a different part of the world that, especially with what's going on right now, is literally impossible to get to. And it just gives you a view to what nature is like somewhere else in the world. Sound captures so much information. 
Like if you close your eyes and especially the way people record, whether it's mid side or with a binaural rig, it really feels like you're there. And then I also, I make sound libraries. I share them on my website and I, I sell them. They've been used in uh, documentaries and in uh, just nature projects. I'm actually working with the Center for Biological Diversity right now, creating a soundscape to raise awareness for a proposed titanium mine in the Okefenokee Swamp. Well, I certainly wish you good luck with that. I mean, the last thing we need is a commercial operation, especially a noisy one in the middle of the Okefenokee. That's just wrong. Okay, so Jared, I have to geek out for just a minute. We have a lot of gearheads in the audience. So let me ask you this. What's in your sound kit? And sorry, folks, for those of you who don't care about the gear, (laughs) we'll get back to the sound stuff in just a minute. The heart of my kit is a microphone that I've made myself. It's made out of a yoga block. First off, let me let me start by saying it's it's designed to simulate a human head in our ears. So I can go out in the field, place it down, and the, the recorded audio actually is three-dimensional. You can close your eyes and you can actually hear where around your head the sounds are originating from. That to me is the most evocative used from uh, creativefieldrecording.com, evocative sound. That's something that I wanted. So I did a lot of research and I, and I found some SAS designs. So I have a post on my website about how I, how I built mine, if you're interested in, in learning more specifics about it. But the core of it is a yoga block that's cut into a trapezoidal shape. And there's two Primo EM272 capsules that make up each quote unquote ear of the microphone. So you have a left ear and you have a right ear. The things that I like most about it beyond it actually sounding like you're standing in the soundscape is it's ultra lightweight, which makes it really portable, which is important for me going hiking and backpacking into the wilderness. I really can't have that big, heavy rig and sound bag with me. So it's ultra lightweight, it's portable, and it actually even comes apart so that it's even more compactable which is also important when you have a tent and food and cooking equipment in your bag as well. So I really, I used uh, some designs that were already on the internet. I tried to make it easier to make with more readily available materials. And then I also really stressed the compatibility of it for my, my own specific use. As far as recorders go, I have a ton of them. I have saved every single one that, I, that I've gotten since I for, first started recording. So I still have that DR40 from Tascam. I have some old Olympus LS10s. I have an, an Olympus LS10S, uh, Tascam DR05X, a Zoom H1N, a Zoom H5. And then I also do have a Sony PCM D100 which is my best field recorder that I own. And when I'm in the field, I'm mainly using one of the Olympuses with uh, the SAS microphone, the, the D100, either by itself or with the SAS microphone. And I've even found a use for the Tascam 05X because last year they came out with a firmware update that allows for scheduling recordings, which is an awesome feature especially when you're out in the field and you find this great location, but maybe it's in the middle of the afternoon and there's 
there's people out and the road is busy and you just would love to know what this sounds like when it's only nature when when the people have left and and like what what comes out in the in this environment so i can set the task cam up with the sas microphone set it to start recording sometime in the evening and then it will actually just roll all night and even record the dawn course the following morning so i can come hike back out there early in the morning retrieve it come back into the studio and then it's like opening up a present when you put that sd card into the computer cuz you don't know what is on there you're hoping for something amazing you never quite know what you're going to get and that's another fun side of field recording for me just coming back to those drop rig recordings and looking at the spectrogram, scanning it for anything uh, interesting or out of the ordinary. A lot of fun. Okay, one last question. Jared, let me ask you this. What would you say to a young person who comes up to you and says, hey, I'm interested in becoming a wildlife sound recordist? What would you say to them? I think the first thing I would tell them is that it's not as much about the gear as the internet would have you believe. I'm not saying that your gear is not important because it certainly is. But what I am saying is that there's a skill and a learning curve of just learning how to use the gear in the field and to use it to capture your own vision. And you can't read that in an article online. You can't learn that anywhere else besides actually having the experiences in the field. So to that new field recorder interested in nature sounds or any kind of field recording in general, I would just say to get the best recorder that you can afford or even just get a cheap one because you might not like field recording, but just get whatever gear you can afford at the time and just get out there, start practicing. And in practicing, you'll learn what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And from there, then you can start really getting into the nitty gritty details of the gear and really understanding what exactly you need, who makes it, how much it costs. You can come up with a plan to get everything that you need, but I think a lot of people really get held up. It becomes a barrier to entry, just like thinking about the gear and there's a lot of conflicting information online. The best thing that you can do is just get a recorder, get out there and start recording. And that is the best possible way that you can start and become successful. Any last thoughts? As not only somebody who records sounds and specifically nature sounds, but also somebody who grew up outdoors, two brothers living on a cul-de-sac, tons of woods around. We spent almost all of our time climbing trees, playing outside and just exploring in general. What I would say to kids is that if you don't have that experience or you haven't had that experience already, let your parents know that you're interested in nature and you want and, and you want to have that experience because an experience in nature outmatches any video game, anything on a screen, you know, even even any sport. I mean, it engages all of your senses when you're out there and it just connects you to the natural world and is such an amazing experience that if you can get your parents to go out, take you on a hike, or even better, go camping, then you will also just fall in love with nature. And I think it's so important for that to happen at the earliest age possible, just so that we don't continue this cycle 
of living in disharmony with planet Earth. That alone has caused almost every single problem that we're faced with today. So if we can get more kids connected with nature at a young age, and for teachers listening, my mom is a teacher also, She's, she brings her kids outside and is able to do some outdoor learning with them. And I think that's something that more schools need to do a whole lot more of. And there's just, there's a wealth of knowledge and research that's already been done. So if you want to pitch it to your school, there's tons of resources out there to help you be successful with that pitch and to actually make it happen. And a, and a great place to start, there's an entire section on learning out in nature in that book that I mentioned earlier, The Nature Fix. So that's another great resource and another reason to check that book out. Jared Blake, wildlife sound recordist. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Jared. You too, Steve. Keep me posted on on all things uh, with you and wish you the best of luck. And folks, please visit Jared's website, AcousticNature.com. For the Natural Curiosity Project, I'm Steve Shepard. Thanks again for listening. I think we'll close this one with another one of Jared's field recordings. Enjoy. <laughs>